I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome back to the Brand is Female podcast. Striving to embolden individuals to embrace their authentic selves with unshakable self-confidence is a grand aspiration. Yet, it's a goal that Lexi Miles Corrent pursued. As the founder and CEO of Waxon Laser and Wax Bar, an all-inclusive beauty and wellness brand, she took her first steps towards this vision over a decade ago when she opened her flagship location in Toronto. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandiesfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help you. Are you ready to be inspired and connected? I'm really excited to share that we have officially launched the Brand is Female Conversation Series. Come and join us for a monthly conference that's changing the game in Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto. Engage with fellow women thought leaders, innovators, and visionaries. Get ready for insightful discussions and powerful networking opportunities presented by TD Women in Enterprise. Don't miss out on this opportunity to elevate your career and your network. Visit our website, go to the events section, and secure your spot today. I can't wait to meet you in person. Over the years, Lexi has built a thriving and successful franchise platform, enabling countless women to realize their entrepreneurial dreams. Today, Waxon boasts 18 locations across Canada, and Lexi herself remains at the forefront of its expansion, even venturing into exciting collaborations. But Lexi's journey extends beyond the boardroom. She dedicates her time to mentorship, passionately guiding the next generation of entrepreneurs. Her mission is clear to inspire others on their unique journeys, nurturing confidence, independence and prosperity. Here's my enlightening conversation with Lexi Miles Corin, a trailblazing entrepreneur who exemplifies the spirit of encouragement and unwavering self-confidence. Lexi, it's such a pleasure having you on the Brennan's Female today. Thank you for making time to chat with me. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. So I start these conversations typically by going back in time. And I want to know when you were a young girl growing up, what kind of career were you envisioning for yourself later in life? What kind of profession did you think you'd be doing as an adult? And was it at all connected to what you're actually doing today? I mean, yes and no. So I had so many different ideas of what I wanted to be. I mean, it was everything from like a movie star um, to a singer. I had a singing teacher. Her name was actually Madonna. I'm not even, oh, I'm wow. not even lying yet. <laughs> I had a singing instructor. I wanted to be an LPGA golfer at one point. Um, wow. And then all in all, though, the underlying theme very much as I opened my snack shack in uh, at my cottage, my own first business that I ever owned at probably the ripe age of like 11, um, where we sold chocolate bars in the summer and they all melted. It's a disaster <laughs> business. Uh, I didn't make much money, but all in all, like the underlying theme really was that I truly looking back, like I've always wanted to be my own boss. And my dad was, right. um, an entrepreneur. Uh, he, you know, sold his first business, uh, when he was 40 and had retired for a period of time and then just went on to start multiple other businesses. So, I always bought him like the pens that said the boss. And I thought it was just the coolest thing that he had, you know, a team and that he ran the show. And so mm. overall, like, I think as I went into, you know, my, uh, later years in high school and into university, it was, it was definitely the entrepreneurial spirit was there. 
Mm. And so what, you know, what studies did you pursue? What, um, and, and did you already have an idea of what kind of business you'd want to have, or it was just clear that you wanted to be your own boss and have your own company? Yeah, I think it was clear. And, and it's much more clear looking back that, you know, on teams, I was always the leader in groups. I was always mm-hmm. a leader. Um, and so there were just like parts of me that innately was kind of designed to, to, run a team and own my own business, but I very much didn't have like, I'm going to start something that wasn't my initial thought. So I went to school, I went to Dalhousie, I did their commerce co-op program. And the Mm -hmm. most amazing thing about that is it allows you to dabble in different businesses. So you do um, a semester of work and a semester of school. And so I thankfully and full circle actually was, um, did all of my, uh, internships at the same business and they happened to be a beauty supply company, mm. um, that now actually has supplied for our Halifax location because they were in the Maritimes. So You've really full, full circle. circle. Yeah. Moment there. Um, but there I did marketing for a bit and I was like, no, nah, not my jam. Um, I worked directly under the, um, general manager there and, uh, did, you know, a bit of everything. And then my last internship, I was a consultant. Um, working with a management consultant directly. And so that really got me into loving like this idea of starting something new and working on a project and seeing it come to fruition. And I went on to then start a management consulting career. Um, So that was my like direct out of school, even though I started Wax on at 25, that was my first real job was uh, in management consulting for businesses. And I'm sure you learned a lot about owning and running a business doing that. So how long did you do that for? And then when did you get the idea that you'd want to have your own salon company? And what was that first vision for for the brand? Yeah, so I I did that for around three or so years. I was doing management consulting first for this company. And we worked on all different projects. Like I was um, a consultant at the MGM in Las Vegas, which, you know, we were in Vegas all day, every day, which sounds a lot more glamorous than it is when you're waking (laughs) up at like six in the morning, going into the buffet, which is my area that I was, you know, kind of supposed to improve and uh, drive additional revenue into. And you're seeing like people just at that time, like hacking darts and on the slots at 6am. I had people, you know, running into the door of my room late night and eating off of like um, the, uh, carts in the, the hallway, the, like that are supposed to be picked up by housekeeping. Like it was a very unique experience, but, um, what you learned there and what I learned was really, uh, both of the MGM, I did Yale New Haven hospital as well. Like a multitude of different companies was truly one, how to put hard work in and tactically how to, really work with a team on, um, creating and instilling new ideas, new business, Mm -hmm. you know, policies, procedures, and encouraging, um, them to adapt and change. And as a leader of a team, especially in a growing business, uh, a lot of those skill sets I use today still in, Mm -hmm. in how I'm approaching and problem solving and, Really, what I did is I took the idea of Wax On when I had it and I treated it as my own mini consulting project, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning. And that almost made it a little less intimidating because I kind of put the lens of a consultant and how I mm-hmm. would build this from a consultant's perspective versus this is me, it's all on me. 
mm-hmm. have to open this business. It needs to be successful. And um, it kind of tricked myself into going through the motions of then getting Wax On off the ground. Right. And what, you know, where did the idea come from? Was it, did you notice a gap in the market? Um, and it seems like you had one of the first, I want to say branded, you know, beauty salons, but focus on, on specific services in Canada because, it, you know, and still today there's a lot of independent salons providing a service. Now we're seeing a few more that, you know, have a brand with an extensive network, but there weren't that many when you started out. No. And actually the movement into specialized services hadn't really happened yet. And now it's Mm -hmm. like, you can go anywhere for anything specialized, like, you know, to the point I could get like this one finger painted probably by itself at one specific spot, you know, like we're uber specialized. And back then it was really only the blow dry bars that existed at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the U S and in Europe, it was a different story. And so Mm -hmm. I was traveling a lot for work, um, in, in consulting in the U S and I saw these wax bars popping up, um, Mm -hmm. quite substantially actually in the U S and, at the time in Canada, to your point, we had the options of going to, you know, a nail salon where you're behind mm. the shower curtain for a wax. Yeah. <laughs> it's not ideal, but it's quick and it's cheap. Um, you're kind of just like closing your eyes uh, while it's happening, or you go to the expensive spas and it's like yeah. a Zen experience, which is just not what you want when you're getting a wax. And Mm -hmm. so I looked at these businesses in the States. And again, like from the knowledge that I had from being a consultant thought, you know, this has to be a really good business model. Um, I'm not an esthetician by trade. And, um, I just thought that there was something really attractive about one, the white space in the market that had existed, uh, at that time in Canada. And then two, that just, it made so much sense, the efficiency and effectiveness of providing a space that's convenient offers quality services, great affordable prices in a really comfortable environment. And that was my goal with Wax On. When you first started out, did you go, you know, to start with one location and uh, or more? And did you fundraise before starting the business or did you invest your own money to get it going? Well, of course, I definitely went into it guns blazing. I was like, I am going to open this one location and then I'm going to franchise it and I will be a 100 locations in five years. That <laughs> was my it. initial. We're now in year uh, 11 and we'll be 20 locations by the end of the year. Um, we're going to be opening 10 new locations next year. So we're definitely on our growth trajectory. But initially I had these big, bold plans that I was just going to be able to open this and very quickly franchise and, um, and continue to expand it at a rapid play, uh, space. So the first location I put up my own capital, um, what I had made, you know, in the past from, from, uh, from my consulting career to date, I went on my own for a bit in consulting. So I made some, uh, good, uh, money during that, that I invested every dollar into Axon that I had to my name. And it was, like I said, I was 25 years old, um, when I opened the doors of wax on and it was a different time now that I look back where I guess I was in a place where I could gamble every dollar. Um, Mm -hmm. and it, uh, in my mind though, funny enough is there was never, um, a part of me that didn't believe it was going to work. Like Mm -hmm. I had a lot of judgments personally around what people would think and Mm -hmm. me opening this and who am I to be opening, you know, a wax bar, um, 
But deep down inside, like I just knew this was going to be successful. Mm, that I, I I love that I love that self you know assurance and I think for for a lot of women is a bit of naivete when you know when we dream of that entrepreneurial project which serves us well usually um, and it's actually it's not just women it's men too I think um, did you have role models uh, around you you've talked about your dad who was an entrepreneur uh, were there any women in business or women mentors or you know women specifically who inspired you you know I didn't it's funny because I get asked this question a lot and maybe it's a bit sad I feel for for me at that time I was very surrounded by men in my life at that at mm. that point um, and and maybe part of me then, you know, dove into it a little harder in, in wanting to prove that I could do it for mm -hmm. myself um, yeah. in some regard, because I definitely was in a space where a lot of the people that I turned to at that time while I was building Wax On were men. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I have to say my mom later on in life was such an inspiration in that she when I was just going off as the third child, um, into high school, late into high school, into university. Um, and she was becoming an empty nester. She opened mm. her own retail shop and, um, mm. and, and did it on her own and, and was super successful at it. So that was definitely, you know, a great inspiration for me. But at the time I really was surrounded by men and, um, I think I had something to prove, uh, a little bit, which is not mm. a bad thing to have in your, in your pocket when you're opening a business. Yeah, absolutely. You've talked, um, you, you just mentioned in a previous answer, you, you had a bit of, you know, the fear of judgment or what others would think about you, you know, having the guts to openness. Um, was it hard opening the, the, the first few locations? And what, I mean, obviously clients started loving it because you've built a clientele from there, but what was the general feedback and was it hard finding suppliers, finding partners, finding staff even to work with you? So I was really fortunate in once we started putting it out there that we were doing this. I mean, the location opened phenomenally well. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were able to attract really great talent into the business. Uh, we worked really hard to prove to suppliers that we were basically bigger than we were because as I mentioned at that time, my plan was I was starting with one, but opening a hundred and five years. So I like <laughs> Love literally embodied that. And yeah. I, we kind of convinced certain suppliers of certain products that were giving us exclusivity on carrying it and, um, and being able to get stories written about us that mm. we probably wouldn't have had I not felt that, we were really doing something that was yeah. going to be bigger than you sold them the dream. I basically. really sold them the dream. I, I had yeah. sold myself, but that said, I remember so vividly this moment we had just set up the location and we were, you know, my mom was there helping set up the shelves and everyone was around and it was this buzzing. And I had this moment when everyone had left and I was there alone in the location by myself the day before we're opening our doors And I'm sitting there and I'm just thinking like, what am I doing? Like, what business do I have opening this type of mm. a business? And my friends are going to be coming in here. And what if this service isn't amazing? And I don't even know how to wax. Like, how am I training people how to do this? And it was mm. just every single judgment coming through um, mm. of why this wouldn't work. And 
I think that in life, like we, especially as women are constantly judging ourselves. It's something that I work on each and every day is like Mm -hmm. really reframing that negative self-talk about why I can't do something. And instead, you know, what I truly believe is when you feel that nudge of, oh, I, I have this idea, like it's there for a reason. And we need to like, listen to that. And it's just trying to reframe that negative self-talk, those judgments into, no, I am doing this. And how I did it was in that moment was I am doing this. And actually I'm going to do it tenfold. Like I'm not just opening one, I'm opening a hundred and, you know, just watch me. So it's, um, sometimes you need to trick yourself into it a little bit, but I think that Mm -hmm. there's so much around those judgments and work that we can do. Um, Mm -hmm. because to me, like I truly believe our deepest desires lie underneath those judgments. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. Um, when did it feel, I mean, obviously you had that vision of going to 100, which didn't happen in the first five years. Um, yeah, get get, I mean, it was still amazing growth. Was there a moment where you're like, Oh, I'm not going to reach that goal of having 100 in the first couple of years. And did that cause disappointment? Yeah, I think that I am the type of person who needs to work really hard at appreciating and taking minutes to say, wow, look at how far we've come um, because of that feeling that we should always be bigger than we are. Because I still see us, like I've said since day one to my team, you know, wax on world domination. Like that's what we're doing. That's what we're here to do and create impact and change lives while we're doing it. Um, But when I sit here and say, we'll be 20 locations by the end of the year, there's part of me that's looks at that person who started wax on and wanted to be 100 and feels like, "Mm, you know, we didn't do it. But I know why, and the why is so much better because we've done so many things that I couldn't have ever even imagined would Mm. have been possible and wouldn't have been possible if I decided to lean in and just say, oh, Mm. let's grow to 100 today. We wouldn't be here today if I had grown to 100 in five years. Let's just be real. What I realized so quickly in building the business and especially in a franchise business is you have to lean so much into a sound foundation of a business before you can catapult out into really expansive growth. And that's what we've leaned into, you know, Mm -hmm. COVID we were closed for 322 days total. Unbelievable. It was completely, you know, it rocked us. It rocked so Mm -hmm. many industries and personal care, um, especially in Ontario where majority of our businesses were, um, we were hit the hardest, Mm -hmm. but instead Mm -hmm. of taking that moment and sitting on it and, you know, being like, poor us. I, you know, thankfully had an amazing coach and mentor at the time. And she reframed my thought into how could this be working for you and not against Mm -hmm. you? Yeah. And that reframe truly changed the trajectory of wax on and no, we're not a hundred locations, but we spent the time I hired back on my entire HQ team. We focused on again, working on the foundation, implementing new systems, Mm. helping create that amazing toolkit for our franchise partners to support them when they come on board Mm. and how we're going to then propel our growth forward when we could open. And that was a game changer. And so I think that, you know, have I had, do I still feel this like eek of we're not a hundred locations today and we should be. Yes. But the impact we have have had and the confidence Mm. and conviction I now have today to now go next year and Mm. open 10 new locations and double our growth year over year 
is there because we've been able to lean in and focus on mm. securing that foundation, which only comes with time. Mm. I think that's one of the hardest things about being an entrepreneur is we're, we're always thinking of where we want to be and where we want to go. And then we forget to recognize the amazing things we've built and the success we do have. Um, I mean, I think as women, especially, we don't celebrate those small wins, right? We're always in, okay, what's next? Um, And it sounds like you're working on kind of reframing just your mindset uh, to get out of that space. Uh, Exactly. And, and, you know, it's important for your team too. Like Mm -hmm. it's not fair when people around you are working so hard on getting right now, we're doing something we haven't done before. We're about to open five locations this year, three locations in like eight weeks. Mm-hmm. it's amazing. We've never, we've never opened three locations in eight weeks and it's incredible for our team because they're all hitting, you know, a new level. They're all mm-hmm. leveling up in a new way and they're hitting upper limits and we're stretching ourselves and we're growing mm-hmm. and we need to celebrate that. And so I'm really trying to be in those moments of saying like, wow, look at what we've done. And often Mm -hmm. a practice that I've implemented is, you know, I'm a big journaler and every day I journal, but, um, at the end of the year, I like to take out a notebook and just really recap that entire year of the wins and the things that Mm. have been amazing milestones that I've achieved. And then obviously set out my next year and all, what are the big lofty goals? And the Mm -hmm. amazing thing to see is when you look back at that at the end of the year, how many of those things you've actually ticked off the list or Mm -hmm. you've changed slightly and done something you didn't even think was possible. This season of The Brandest Female is made possible with the support of TD Women in Enterprise. And they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and to engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. Um, as the company grew and, and you started franchising at that point, um, were you reinvesting just the company's, you know, earnings into operations or did you secure financing? And what I want to know is if you feel there's enough support for women entrepreneurs in Canada and, you know, was it easy for you to get that support? So I opened, so I own six of, of the wax on 20, I guess it will call it. Um, mm-hmm. I own six of those locations still today. I had bank financing from on four of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was through a small business loan. If anyone's mm-hmm. looking to start a business, the government subsidized small business loan. That's what most yeah. of our franchise partners use. It's an amazing, um, option for new up and coming business owners, um, especially in the franchise space. But I will say that I also have, you know, continuously been reinvesting into the business, anything that we've been making out of the business, mm-hmm. it's been going back into the business to support that growth that's up and coming. Right. I did, um, in 2018 go out and I was, uh, seven months pregnant, um, with my first, uh, baby Piper 
and mm-hmm. I did my first raise, um, mm-hmm. and, inv- and I went out and, and was seeking some investment because at that time we ha- were thinking of growing corporately, which means opening mm-hmm. locations that I only own. Whereas own. with franchising, yeah. you're using other people's capital, um, mm-hmm. to grow. And so I, um, yeah, I, I found an investor and we closed the deal very shortly after, um, Piper's born. And that was not, that was not my plan. I was literally in labor on the phone. My lawyer oh my God. <laughs> trying to close the deal, like not even kidding. He has four children. So he's like, get off the phone, go have your baby. <laughs> like we will come back to this. But my plan was to get the deal done, secure the funds and be able to mm. enjoy maybe a little bit of, um, my first child. I now have um, mm. four. So my first child's, uh, you know, newborn stage and, it went very differently. Um, you know, I, I had a moment where I was in a boardroom with men all around me. I was the only female Piper. My firstborn was two weeks mm. old and I was in this meeting for over four hours. And wow. not only had no one asked me like how my newborn baby was, um, mm. no one really appreciated the fact that I was there you know, TMI, obviously my like boobs are bursting with. Yeah. You had to, you had to feed your baby at some point. My baby. And it was, it was really like looking back at that person being me sitting around Mm. the table. Like I would never do that today. I would, Mm -hmm. I would be like, listen, guys, I I have a newborn. These conversations can wait. We'll get it done when I'm, I'm ready or I'll come in for a couple hours. I'm bringing my baby and my nanny with me, you know, like it's a very different type of person I am today. But back then Mm. I I believed I needed these investors. I believed I needed the money and I believed that, and I didn't have the confidence in my business to truly understand that they were the ones that were going to win in this because I was building an amazing business. You were bringing them an opportunity. Exactly. And so fast forward to um, six months later, we had signed the deal and then I quickly bought them back out. It was not aligned with who I was the vision of the company and where we needed to be in the future. And, um, fortunately everything aligned for me to have been able to do that. Uh, and I'm so grateful. And now I own hundred percent of the business still today. Oh, wow. Good for you. And in that process of trying, trying to find the right investors and fundraising, did you have a lot of no's before getting to a yes? And how did the conversation, I mean, it sounds like even with these guys, you know, they weren't aligned with, with your mission or vision. Um, but I hear from a lot of beauty founders that having those conversations around fundraising is a bit like, okay, you're coming in as a woman pitching services that cater to women specifically, and you're around a group of guys that don't always get it. I, I literally just got off the phone before this with that exact situation. And I'm like, I just don't understand how this works. Like, you at least should be bringing a female to this meeting. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not even someone, like just hire someone to come on for the day just to make, you know, safe face. Um, Yeah, I met with uh, majority men in in when I was, you know, shopping around for this investment. And I think one of the things that I truly believe is any business owner, um, female or otherwise, when you're at the point of being able to raise money, and I really didn't have this awareness at the time, and I think it's something that I really want to share with others, is that when you're at the point of a business um, where you are able to go out and present what you have built and have someone want to invest mm-hmm. or even entertain an investment, 
Like that is an amazing feat right there. And you should be going into that meeting with extreme confidence and that you don't need to have them. And you may need that money at the time. Like, of course, you know, you may, but you get to choose who that right person is and to be specific in that choice and be really proud of the moment that you are in when you get to that point of being Mm. able to raise money. Yeah, I think for for a lot of us, it's hard to turn down when we know we need capital injection for growth. We feel like we're stuck in that corner and it's hard to turn down money, even if the, you know, the partner doesn't seem like the right fit. But in, in hindsight, there's always other options. There's always somebody else. There's always another solution, right? There really is. And, mm-hmm. you know, now when I do choose to raise money in the future, which I'm sure I will be doing, like... I'm just much more clear on those boundaries. And I think going in with a very Mm. clear set of boundaries and non-negotiables that you're not willing to sacrifice for you or your company, um, one being your just core values of the business Mm. um, and that being aligned with whoever comes on board, that's, you know, first and foremost, because you'll never see eye to eye moving forward as you go through, you know, the headwinds that can come with growth if you're Mm. not aligned and the base level of just, who they are and you are as people and individuals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you've built, you know, this brand that's well-known in the market and there's a culture attached to it, right? And any brand that lasts in the market and that grows, you know, develops its its own culture. How do you make sure as a leader that this culture kind of, you know, continues to exist in terms of, you know, teams coming in, you've got head office, you've got retail locations or, or location with their services, uh, take place and you have franchises as well. And I'm always curious to know, especially with franchises, how do you make sure that, you know, this culture is really lived by everyone who, you know, works under a wax on banner? It is culture for me is, and has always been the number one priority of the business because I truly believe that, and we're in service, right? If your people love where they work, they're going to provide a better experience in their mm-hmm. service offering. And right when I stepped into this from not having been in the aesthetic world and having worked in aesthetics and coming into it, all I heard at the beginning was what a caddy environment it was. Mm -hmm. And that made me Mm -hmm. quite disappointed, especially because it's so tightly tied to women. And Mm -hmm. so there was high turnover, it's caddy and the culture is, you know, very toxic. And so I was committed to that not being the case at wax on. And Mm. from day one, it was around how do we build a culture that empowers women within it, that allows Mm. for our, um, estheticians to build their own business and build careers within our own Mm -hmm. locations to feel that they are respected, that their voice matters. Um, and it, it was, it was, really like number one. And what Mm. I'll say is I believe that your culture starts with the first two people that you hire in your business. They're the ones that are going to carry that voice and what we're, you know, you're trying to achieve in, you know, who you are as a brand and a company throughout. And I thankfully still have a number of my first people that I hired at Wax On um, with us till today. And one started as our manager at Summerall and she now oversees all of our locations. She's our VP of operations and is truly our cheerleader of our core values and our culture. Um, but when I went into franchising, that was one of the things that scared me the most was how do we maintain what we have built 
in this amazing vibe that everyone feels when they go in a wax on. You know, the greatest compliment is when someone tells me that they're in a service and the person's talking about how much they love the company that they work for. That is literally mm. the best compliment I can ever receive. And I thankfully receive it regularly. That's what, amazing. Yeah, it's it's honestly the best. And But what we were able to do with franchising that is so unique is so many of our clients want to own a wax on. And so they're already bought into culture. Like they, they want to recreate exactly what they experience as a client. Mm -hmm. So it's been a really unique and um, uh, exciting time for us as we embark on that. Not only because I was so fearful of that brand equity and being able to recreate Mm -hmm. through someone else what we've created in our own locations that I own at Wax On. Um, but also the fact that through us leaning into franchising and them being clients of ours, they're also all women and mm. they're women that are now embarking on their own entrepreneurial journey, yep. excited to build their own team and empower and employ women. And, mm-hmm. you know, now today we almost have 200 women working across our wax on locations. Oh, that's great. And it's, uh, and, and multiple business owners that are female. So yeah it's amazing that impact. And that's, um, Mm. what really is, has me most excited about the future of Mm. wax on is creating and continuing to create that impact moving forward for Mm. women. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Um, what do you think makes you a great leader and what's your personal view on leadership? What's your definition of leadership? So it's funny, the consultant in me, we used to do a leadership training, which is so Mm -hmm. funny because like, I never even led a team at the time. I think I was like 22 (laughs) and I was literally training executives on leadership. Um, (laughs) and it was all around, you know, active listening, listening more Mm -hmm. than you talk and removing obstacles to performance. And those things Mm -hmm. are very much aligned, but I think leadership to me is so much more than that. You need to be inspiring. You need to really promote and share in the core values. You need to be one to get in the trenches with your team. I believe vulnerability and leadership is an absolute fundamental to how I lead in the business. Um, and really allowing people to share in the ups and downs of the journey that you're on as mm-hmm. they're part of, you know, the business that you're building. And, um, I think that that's been a big game changer for us at wax on and building such a strong culture and a team that are all in it together, because mm-hmm. especially through times like COVID, I was really transparent in that. I didn't know what tomorrow would bring, but I yeah. did know that we would exist. Mm-hmm. And so it's for leaders. I think you need to provide a confidence about you obviously like people are relying on the growth of the business to stay employed and the success of the business to continue their journey. Um, that confidence needs to be there, but they also need to know that you can make mistakes too. And we're not perfect and that we Mm. are building a space that allows for you to be, um, Mm. making mistakes, especially when you're moving fast. Did, was it always like that for you or did it come with time? Were you, were you that comfortable being vulnerable in, you know, the first few years of running the business? I I absolutely wasn't. And Mm -hmm. it was a true game changer in my leadership abilities and, and our team's ability to come together when I was given from actually a, a coach I was working with at the time who had been integrated into our business attending meetings and, 
it actually linked back to that investor story. And my team Mm. never knew any of it. Right. Right. Most of them, I think two of them knew no Mm. one else knew any of it. And he said to me one day, he's like, can you imagine how proud your team would be to know what you went through and that you also had the audacity to then buy this person out Mm -hmm. because of your belief and your vision and your values and Mm -hmm. how impactful that would be. And so I shared that with the team one day and they were in tears. All of them, we Mm -hmm. were all in tears. Everyone was crying. It was especially because they know my daughter Mm -hmm. and just all of the pieces that go into it. But it, from that day on, I committed to um, not only sharing my own vulnerability, but providing a safe space for our team to share theirs. So mm-hmm. every monthly meeting, we go round table and everyone has to share a humbling moment where mm. the we, you know, the month prior where they had a misstep, where they had, you know, a mess up, they made a mistake and what the learning was of that so that we can be confident and comfortable in sharing, but also mm-hmm. accountable for um, us wanting to not do, make the same mistakes yeah. over and learn over again. from whatever mm-hmm. mistake was yeah. made. Yeah. Um, I, I love that. That's such a good idea. Um, you are a mom of four, which yeah. <laughs> is well, a lot of kids. <laughs> um, and it's so wonderful. How have you kind of, how do you manage, how have you created kind of, you know, your schedule, your practices to be able to, you know, be actively involved in, in, in the business. And I'm, I'm guessing that you're, you're very involved in, in every decision that's made, um, and still getting time to be with your children and enjoy your family time. Yeah, it's a massive juggle for sure. (laughs) I am very supportive of receiving help and I wasn't Mm -hmm. always like that, but I think it's non-negotiable now. Um, And I actually recently wrote an article for Today's Parent on receiving help and normalizing Mm -hmm. it for women, Mm -hmm. especially because I think that we set almost this standard and then we feel shame attached to receiving help. And I, I'm, I don't lie. Like I have a lot of help. I have two nannies. I have four kids. They were, they're five kids in four years. So I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old and twins. And it's about leaning into that. And then Mm -hmm. I think the second piece is leaning into wellness for myself being a top priority Mm -hmm. and having non-negotiables and my own, you know, boundaries in my life. So, Mm -hmm. and communicating those. And that's not been easy for me in the past. I was a leader who um, wanted to show up for my team. So I'd send emails at like 10 at night because Mm -hmm. I knew they were working at 10 at night. And it was this vicious circle that I kind of created within our team of not taking time for ourselves and not prioritizing the things that we need outside of work. And so mm-hmm. I really leaned into sharing with our team, our boundaries. And one of mine is from five to eight every night I'm with my family. And unless yeah. something is dramatically you know, super urgent, super urgent, you know, that that is where my time is. And I have a do not disturb on my, our like Slack channels. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's my family time. And that helps yeah. me with that boundary, I have a music class I attend once a week. I didn't the last three and I'm giving myself grace for that. But <laughs> with my twins, because I didn't really have a lot of mat leave time with them or any, but I have things that I incorporate. Fitness mm-hmm. is important to me. That like last night could look like 9 p.m. at night, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. literally. Mm-hmm. But, like mm-hmm. those little things and times 
that I think we need to figure out what they are for us to be able to incorporate. Because when I say wellness is my top priority, like people often are, you have four kids, you have a business, like that is impossible. Mm -hmm. And what I really am committed to doing and saying in that, that is I need to find outlets during the day to check in on me or else I will not show up as well for my mm-hmm. kids and my husband and my team mm-hmm. because, you know, and I'm run down right now, my voice, all of these things, like I can tell right. that. So I think as women, especially, we are so good at burning the candle at both ends at mm-hmm. taking on more and more and more. Um, and so a big learning for me is leaning into receiving help and also just really recognizing what are those little things that I can incorporate that help fill my bucket back up so that mm-hmm. I can be there in, you know, the best way possible for my family and my team. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, as you started out saying, it's a constant juggle and we've been sold this myth of you can do it all. You can achieve perfect work-life balance. And then we feel guilty when we can't. Right. So it's, figuring out what works for each of us really not being ashamed of it like i think it's yeah. really important as women we share more about mm-hmm. the help we're receiving and that yeah. doesn't need it like for me I, you know i have two nannies but that looks like for others meal sharing that looks like yeah. you know pickup drop offs and carpooling that looks like so many different things yeah. and just being able to bringing the grandparents in for a weekend giving yourself a date night like those mm-hmm. types of things that are going to help to fill our buckets back up and mm-hmm. recognize when we need that um, before it's too late. Being proactive in it, yeah. I think, is important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in closing, what would be your top two pieces of advice for women entrepreneurs who maybe are starting out, thinking of starting a business or you know, have been in business for a while? I think that first, I always am a huge believer of trusting our gut. I think women, our Mm -hmm. intuition is truly amazing. Mm -hmm. And anytime I've gone against my gut, um, I've been wrong. Anytime I follow that Mm -hmm. nudge, it's led me to unlocking things that um, might not even have been what I thought the reason was to follow that nudge in the first place. So I think leaning into that, you know, whether it's reaching out to someone about an idea, um, respond or reaching out to someone by email, just anytime you have that feeling, it's there for a reason. And I think we need Mm -hmm. to trust it. So following our guts and then really recognizing your own judgments and showing Mm -hmm. up in your best way possible for yourself um, by recognizing them and replacing them with some really positive Mm self-talk because that is going to be what comes between you having an idea of launching a business and you actually launching your business. You need to be like on a constant reel of why you can do this because you're going to tell yourself every single reason over and over and over again on why it's not possible. So it's showing up for you for a reason. That idea is planted there because you're capable of it. And then it's just overcoming those judgments in order to actually be that person who can do the thing and launch the business Mm -hmm. and um, and we're just capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. So just go Absolutely. for it. Yeah. And on that, I was having a conversation recently on a show where an entrepreneur said, go to therapy because all your stuff yeah. is going to come up when you launch your business. You will be confronted to all your issues. Oh my God, totally. So work it out because it's going to come up whether you want it or not. It's so, 
Absolutely. I think that's so important. You know, having that right, right team, like I have mentors and yeah. coaches and, you know, uh, one of our core values at Waxons be humble and we're always learning mm-hmm. and growing each and every day. And I think it's so important in our life to continue to work through those things. And, um, I love that. I love that tip. Mm-hmm. It's so important. Well, thank you so much, Lexi. Looking forward to seeing what Waxon does next and thank seeing you. you continue on that growth uh, trajectory. And thank you so much for making time today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Brand is Female podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you to our editor, Isabel Morris, and our editorial manager, Mackie Domingo. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com to learn more.